one of the things we do is we read the Bible on Sunday mornings, and then we explain the Bible, and then we apply the Bible. So we're a Bible church. We're an old-school Bible-teaching church because we think that as the people of God, we can hear the voice of God through the Word of God. So we want to open it up, read it, and say what's been said. So if you are able to stand to your feet, we're going to have the public reading of the Scripture, beginning in Joshua chapter 2, verse 15. Joshua chapter 2, verse 15. The title of the message is, The God of Rahab, the prostitute. The God of Rahab, the prostitute. And what can we learn from the God of Rahab, the prostitute? Beginning in verse 15, I'm reading from the NLT, New Living Translation. Then since Rahab's house is built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. If they go out into the street and are killed, it'll not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we'll accept the responsibility for their death. And if you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. Father, thank you. Thank you that we're here. And we ask that you would stir our hearts, that you would do a fresh work in our lives by the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that your word would come alive and you would speak to us now that we would hear your voice. So we ask you to do what you can only do in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, amen. So Joshua 2 explains the remarkable story of the woman named Rahab the prostitute. This is a count that actually happened. Like, I'm not making this up, anybody. Like, this actually happened here. It's in the New Testament, in Hebrews, in Matthew, in James. And so we're going to unpack this account. And we hear in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, that immediately... Rahab is introduced to us as Rahab, the woman who is a prophet, a, um, I was going to say harlot in the Old Testament, King James, or prostitute. So she's described by her sin. She has a resume here that simply reads Rahab, the prostitute. Her story, it's an X-rated story. For a living, she would sell her body. She made a lifestyle out of selling sex. Her name literally means insolent, brash, rude, harsh, hard, hard person. Think of her standing there in the red light district while people are coming into the inn, and there she is. I mean, she's just this hard, brash woman. But Joshua chapter 2 is about how God enters into Rahab's story. And Rahab really is the most unlikely candidate to find her way into Hebrews chapter 11 the Hall of Faith, the greatest Sunday school saints of the Old Testament there. But she inspires us to emulate her example of what it looks like to follow her walk of faith. I'm going to talk about that. Would you agree, though, that sometimes God will pick people that we would never pick? I mean, how many people would pick Rahab the prostitute to be in the Hall of Faith? Not very many people would. And so let me give you a little background about Joshua chapter 1. So God's people are at the Jordan River. Forty years ago, Moses had taken them in the wilderness, and here they are on the precipice of entering into the promised land. They're right there. And Rahab's house of prostitution can be seen there in the defensive fortress of Jericho. 
where she was strategically positioned where she could meet strangers and business people and citizens of Jericho there in the red light district. So Jericho, you need to understand, was very influential, very successful, very wealthy, very popular, very prosperous city. Lots of business went on in Jericho. They had watchtowers on the wall. So it was an impregnable fortress there with watchtowers that could see an invading enemy. Had all kinds of crops and great resources of water, fertile grounds for crops. It was amazing. Jericho also was renowned for its evil. It was an X-rated culture overflowing with evil. They practiced the horror of child sacrifice to their gods. And this is where Rahab lived. So Jericho was spiritually a dark place, a depraved place. The people in Jericho, the Canaanites, were idol worshippers. So what they did is they would take rocks, they would take wood, they would take gold, and then they would carve images into that, and they would make their idols there and worship them in the temple as God. So every idol had to have a sacrifice. So what they did then is they would take babies and they would throw them into a fire. And you just have to wonder, friends, if Rahab, having worked a trade there for decades on the walls of this impregnable city, didn't have to someday dedicate one of her children. It's speculation, but it, it's an interesting thought. And they're Jer in Jericho, additionally, because they had temple worship there, they had temple prostitutes. And the Canaanites recruited and sold women into prostitution as early as 9 and 10 years old. And you wonder if that may have visited Rahab's story, then eventually she just set up shop in the walls of Jericho. Which brings us to verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the spies then were, were assigned to go into Jericho to sneak in to check out the land, gain strategic military advantages before they would attack. So the strategy of the spies was to go in on the down low, undercover, under radar, low profile, don't want anybody to notice, with all the business people and all the other people there. So to get information that will help us with our approach and our attack of Jericho. Somebody notices the spies, and immediately the king finds out, and then all of a sudden, Rahab hears the dreaded sound of knocking on her door. Verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men that have come to your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. We know who's come, the Israelites, and we know why they have come to spy out our land. And so the king's soldiers showed up, and Rahab is busted. I imagine she's very stressed out, a little post-traumatic stress syndrome, what do I do? Verse 4 is what she does. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes. The men here were here earlier, but I don't know where they came from. Big, fat lie. And Rahab hustles the spies upstairs, throws them under some flaxseed kind of uh, stalks there. And Rahab, this is what you need to see. Rahab had the audacity, had the boldness, had the courage, and takes this bold stance to protect the spies. She would have, they would have cost them their life if she revealed that they were there. So why does she do this? Why does she put her life at risk? Why does a woman that has been named every name in the book, who's brash and brazen and insolent, why does this woman put her whole life on the line, making this bold move and hiding the spies? Verse 5, then they left town at dusk. That's a lie. 
as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. Lie, they're on the roof. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Lie again. Lie, 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 lie. How many people know that Rahab is a professional liar? You got, you got it. She's a pro. She does this for a living here. She sends him on a world on a wild goose chase, which she's confronted. Friends, Rahab has been lying all her life. She's lying. How many people know? Can we be real this morning? How many people know she's been lying to her clients for years? Come on, somebody. Hey, dream boyfriend. Where you been all my life? That's funny. I don't care what you think. She lied to her clients all her life. And, so, and you know what's worse than that is all the, all, the, all the guys that believed what she was telling them. Anyway, but Rahab's a lying machine here, right? And so she's, uh, but the Bible's not saying, hey, let's take a lesson out of Joshua chapter 2, even though she's telling a bunch of bold-faced lies. Raises the question, when is it okay to lie? They did a poll recently and found out that 91% of people admitted to lying on a regular basis. And the question is about the other 9% of the people. But I'm not going to go there. And so, but it raises the question, when is it okay to lie? Because I think some people think it's okay, as the poll shows, to just lie. It's okay to lie. It's okay to lie all the time. Well, when is it okay? Was there an ethical dilemma here? Because Rahab was asked to do something that went against God's purpose and went against uh, what God wanted, God's plan, God's will for these spies' lives. So what is she going to do? Uh, she doesn't lie. God's servants are going to die. Rahab lying, lying thwarted a greater evil. So here you have a scenario where there's two lies on the table. One lie breaks the ninth commandment. You're not supposed to lie. The other lie sends God's people to their death. And so what are you going to do here? And so at the same time, she turns in the servants of God, they will be killed. That would be a sin also. So you have two sins on the table. What do you do? Here's what you do. You must choose to go with the more weightier moral implication. That is what she did. She did the righteous thing, even though she lied, because she really didn't have another option. So the next verse says, before the spies went out to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. Watch what she says. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land living in terror. Notice she says, not just me, but we. In the next verse, she's going to say, but we have heard. And then again, we know what you did. Speaking of the Canaanites there, having heard about their God and the people of their God. And so I know she has more faith than anyone in Israel. I know that God's given you the land. How do you know that? Growing up in that awful pagan culture. Well, she'd heard word got out on the streets about what had happened 40 years earlier when Moses led the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt. They heard about how their God delivered them from the most powerful man on the planet, the Pharaoh. They heard about the parting of the Red Sea. They heard about the children of Israel going through on dry land. They heard about the Egyptians being drowned in the Red Sea. They'd heard. She said, we know all about your God. And so this is Rahab's faith on display. Now watch, watch, because Rahab 
was not given information, watch, that anybody else was not given. Everybody's given the same information. We know, okay, we are all afraid of you. Next verse, watch again. Next verse. For we, who's we? All the Canaanite people, we've heard, we know. And again, one more time, next verse. For we know, we, 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 all the Canaanite people, they heard. But one person reacts on what they know to be true of God. And so they knew because the word of God has spread reputation of God and God's people. We've heard and we know all about your God. And so she says here, I want us to note that in the middle of everybody knowing what God was doing, but did nothing about it, Rahab says, I'm going in a different direction. And I'm going to disconnect from the other gods, and I'm going to go with your God, and I'm going to go against culture. And I'm not going to go with the crowd, but I'm going to go with your God. I'm going to turn my back on culture. I'm going to turn my back on my, my upbringing, and I'm going to align myself with you. And I'm going to align myself with your God. I want your God. So Rahab makes this radical decision here to align herself with the Lord and to disalign herself with culture. Friends, is there a message in there for us or what? See, my question to you is this. Who are you aligning yourself with? Who are you aligning yourself with? See, every Christ follower has to come to the place where, in life where, you have to decide, am I going to align myself with the culture, with the crown, what everybody else is doing, or am I going to align myself with God? And so one of the realities of being a Christ follower is sometimes you find yourself by yourself, alone by yourself, like Rahab, alone by herself. So Rahab made the decision, if I align myself with God, and this is what I'm going to do, I cannot be aligned with the crowd. I can't be aligned with the king. I can't be aligned with my past. So continuing here, Rahab tells the spies, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear, because they heard about Yahweh. They heard about what he'd done, almighty God. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. So the story of God and the story of God's people, Rahab said, we got sick to our stomachs when we heard about your God. And when we, we heard about you were going to be marching on our city. And Rahab then makes this incredible, remember, she's a prostitute, friends. She makes this incredible declaration, this personal, bold assertion about who God is when she says this. Look, for the Lord, look at next verse. For the Lord your God is a supreme God above the heavens above and the earth below. She's saying, there's no one like your God. Your God is an awesome God. In the heavens above and the earth below, there's no one like your God. So Rahab had heard all about the amazing God of the Hebrews here. She began to put her faith in him and his greatness and his grandeur and his majesty and his awesomeness and his power and who their God was. She said, I heard about y'all and I heard about your God and I'm coming after your God. So the God of Rahab, the prostitute, says there's no one like their God. So notice that she doesn't, she wants to follow a God now that doesn't take away life, but that gives life. She wants to follow a God that doesn't kill his people, 
but defends his people and delivers his people. The God of the Hebrews who fights their battles there and doesn't kill their babies. says, that's the God that I want. She heard about the God of the Hebrews, how he defended against the Pharaoh of Egypt. He heard about uh, how he dethroned the most powerful man in all the world here. And news begins to circulate. And she is grasping and hearing the news and beginning to believe the news that she's hearing. How, God, how their God delivered them from Egypt and opened up the Red Seas and defeated the kings of the Amorites of Og and all. And so she's weighing out her options. Remember, she's working a prostitute there in the red light district. And she's weighing out her options. And what am I going to do? And she says, these so-called gods of the Canaanites, all they, they're, they're just images of rocks and gold and metal. And they kill their people and they kill their babies and they steal our lives and they kill us. Oh, but the God of heaven and of earth, I want that God. Forget the old gods. I'm going after their God. And it's stunning, friends. It's absolutely stunning that the prostitute Rahab has this understanding of the greatness of God and wants to go after him. And watch what she does now because she confesses with her mouth that she wants to follow the God of the Hebrews. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. You'll be right with God. And so, uh, so Rahab decides that she's going to go with the God of Israel. She takes a stand and says, I believe. I believe in the God of Israel. And she says, there's a giant God here who's about to defeat the, the, the darkness of the Canaanites, and I'm going to go with that God. So verse 12 says, then she says to the spies, I want to point out a principle here. So don't miss this and don't tune out, because what I'm about to say is very important, because I'm going to talk about a principle that's prevalent in the church. And you're probably guilty of the principle I'm going to talk about. Verse 12, now share to me, swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. I'm going to make a deal is what she's saying. How many people want to make deals with God? Okay, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all their families. So she's talking and saying, in light of the decision that I have made, that I'm going to follow, I, I, I risked my life, I hid the spies, I'm going with your God. I know he's going to conquer the land. Rahab makes an escape plan with the spies, and she says, look, please rescue my dad and my mama, my brother, my sister, my family. And she cuts a deal with the spy, spies, and she says, look, I'm choosing God. Now, here's what I want you to do. When God shuts, down, shuts this mama down, I want you to come after me, and I want you to save me because I know that Jericho is going down, and she cuts a deal. And she makes, firstly, a faith decision. She's all in, friends, risking her life again. And she goes against the culture, and Rahab did this to choose God. Now watch. What she did is she chooses God first, then she makes a deal. I submit to you, we do exactly the opposite. We want to make a deal with God, and then we'll commit. Come on, somebody. We want to cut a deal. Now, God, if you do what I'm asking you to do, then I'm all in. Then I'll do whatever you want me to do. See, but it was by faith, not by sight, that she made this decision here. 
So some people, God, if you bless me, if you bless me with that job, you bless me with money, uh, I, then I'll be generous. Then I'll tithe. God, if you give me the, the boyfriend I want, the girlfriend I want, then I, I'm going to be so dedicated. You give me the job I want, then I'm going to represent you in the, in the place of employment. If you, if you do this, this, and this, then I. Rahab did exactly the opposite. I'm all in. And by the way, since I'm all in, you rescue my family. That's how we need to live, friends, is like Rahab. So God, I will follow you no matter what. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Will you trust God though you don't see it? Though the Red Sea is not parted, you trust God there to do what he says he's going to do. So faith again is when you don't see it. Now to get to the heart of the story. Verse 15. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down, who? The spies down, by a rope through the window. How many people wonder if she's done that before? She's let people out through the window that they're looking for people. I'm just saying. Verse 18, and when we come into the land, they told her, here's what you have to do. You must leave this scarlet rope. Why scarlet? hanging from the window, which you let us down. And all your family members will be here inside the house. Interesting that the ropes in that culture were made of a dye. The dye was from a worm that was pregnant, and they would crush the worm. They would kill the worm. And so they would crush it, and that would produce the color that they dyed the rope with. The worms and the dye, the dye that it was made from were known for three things. One thing it was known for was it was an antiseptic in that day. It was for cleansing in that day. Secondly, uh, it had some, it had, something had to dye to produce the scarlet color. And number three, it was a symbol for sin in the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this, says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, though they be red like crimson, again, it's the, it's the, it's the, in the Hebrew, it's the name of this worm, they shall be as white as wool. And so interesting, the color of the rope, crimson, came from that which had to be put to death, which was used for cleansing, and which was known for sin in that culture. Verse 21. I accept the term, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging out the window. So to help us understand the story, here we have a scarlet rope, okay? Scarlet rope here. And this scarlet rope, okay, was hanging out the window like that for all to see. So here was what the spies said. Okay, when you show us kindness, we're going to show you kindness. We're all in here. When we wage war on the city, there's one thing you've got to do besides keep your family inside. You've got to show us that there's that scarlet cord there hanging out your window. You must do that because that tells us that we're going to rescue you. You will be saved by that cord. Fast forward in Joshua chapter 6. There's the priests and the worship team. They're going around Jericho Seven days, 
seems like a weird way to fight a battle, but seven days they're going around. On the seventh day, seven times, and then they shout, and the walls come tumbling down, except for one sliver of the walls of Jericho that was there that had the, the, the scarlet robe, uh, rope there. And so she put out the scarlet red cord and tied it around the window to mark the house that Joshua would know to come and to save them. And so that was the proclamation that she was making there, that the red cord would be the key to her rescue and her salvation. That rescue, it, it declared, rescue is coming to Rahab's house. There's a scarlet cord of redemption throughout the Bible. Beginning back in the book of, G of Exodus, where the children of Israel there, when they sacrificed a lamb, they put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their house. The angel of death would pass over because there was the scarlet blood on the doorposts. Forty years before the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, this is what they did. And now why a scarlet cord? Perhaps the spies have in their minds the Egyptian uh, homes there, the Israelites being there, and the blood of the lamb. The homes being marked with the red blood there. So the spies handed Rahab this uh, rope here, this red rope, the scarlet cord, and they told her what to do with it and to be underneath that. And this also not only points to the past, it points to the future. The scarlet, which speaks of the cleansing of the blood of Christ, which points to Jesus, which also speaks of, of sin here and what he's done. For the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sin of the world. So the red blood that Jesus shed on the cross marks the belonging of us to him. And like Rahab, we have to put our faith in this God here who can spare our lives and rescue us from the, the power of sin. So the scarlet cord then also points forward to the cross of Christ, where real blood flowed from his side, from his feet, from his hands there, the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Where we're delivered, like Rahab was delivered, we're delivered from sin and from death. And friends, we are rescued as she was rescued. And so what I like, though, is Rahab submitted herself to do what she was asked to do. She didn't say, you know, well, um, why can't it be a, like a yellow cord? And why do I have to put it in the window? And no, she did what the spies told her to do. Verse 21, according to your word, so be it. She was quick to say, I'll do whatever. Whatever it takes, she surrenders. So uh, all of that to say this here, uh, did she earn it? Did she earn to be saved? No, she didn't. She didn't earn her rescue. See, Rahab was under the blood of the scarlet cord. So the walls of Jericho fall down. Rahab and her family, all everyone else is crushed, she, is, she survives. So here's what Rahab teaches us. I have three points of what Rah the God of Rahab the prostitute teaches us. Number one is this. God will have the final word. God will have the final word over our past, no matter how dark our past. See, think of Rahab, all of the things that could have had the final word. 
The culture could have had the final word that she was immersed in. The practices of the culture, her old lifestyle could have had the final word. The king could have had the final word. Uh, Her clients, I'm sure they had a word. But the final word over her life was none of that. The final word over her life was God's word. And what happened to the prostitute is that she would go into the promised land and she would meet a young man by the name of Salmon, who was a builder of Bethlehem, it says in Chronicles, as well as he was a prince. And so the prostitute moves into the promised land, marries a prince, and becomes a princess to the degree that we're still talking about her today. See, God had the final word over her life. God has a final word over our lives, not the words that other people have spoken over your life. Your ex-whatever, boyfriend, husband, wife, enemies, employees. It's God's word that you receive as the final word that has the power over your life. And so people say, yeah, but I did the thing that I never wanted to do. If you only know what I did, here's what I know. The power of the scarlet cord was far greater than Rahab's story. That's what I know. Here's what I know. God has a final word because what God has done is far greater than what Rahab has done. Far greater than anything that you have done. And so that's why God has the final word here. Now, secondly, the God of Rahab, the prostitute, teaches us this also, that there's no sin that you have done or that has been done to you, that the grace of God is not greater still. There is no sin that can keep you from the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, Rahab was bound. You need to see how bound she was by the cycle of sin and shame and her lifestyle, and yet she's offered one simple solution. The scarlet cord, watch friends, the scarlet cord was the solution to Rahab's future that forever changed her life. Imagine if she didn't have the scarlet cord. We would have no story to tell because she would have been crushed with all the other Canaanites in the walls of Jericho. The scarlet cord made all the difference. And so redemption, friends, it's what God does. Redeemer is who Jesus is here. So the scarlet cord, again, points to Jesus Christ. Imagine 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross. And there he is, and it's God's plan of redemption. And he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, "Um, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, why are you going to forsake me? But he had to be forsaken that we would never be forsaken. So he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it was real blood that flowed from, from his body, real blood that flowed from his hands, and his feet. And so friends, and he did it all. He saw you and you were worth dying for. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. He despised the cross, okay, but he embraced it. He embraced the cross. I'm sorry. He embraced the cross, despising the shame. But he embraced all of that for you. For you. He saw you, the joy set before him. And so Number three, this is what we learned from the God 
of Rahab the prostitute, when God redeems you, he changes everything for everybody, for all time. He changes your identity, changes who you are. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Your identity becomes new. There's Gideon, and Gideon is, a, is just a coward trying to do what God called him to do there. And the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you're a man whom God is with. That's your identity. Not who you think you are, but who God says you are. You see, what Jesus did for us, when God redeems you, it changes who you are. Now I'm a man whom God is with. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven, not forsaken. I am who you say that I am. Rahab's not who her old clients say that she is. She's who Yahweh says that she is. So Rahab went from labeled and shamed and hard and insolent to princess. My friends, that's what he does with you. You are his beloved. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his redeemed. You're his chosen. You're his forgiven. You're his washed of your past sin. You're his purchased possession. You are his adopted children. So you have right standing with God. You are who he has made you to be. He changes your identity. You see, the incredible power of Rahab's story that James says, and I'm going to close with this. James says this. He says, you say that you have faith. Well, show me your faith by your works, by your actions, by what you exemplify, by what you manifest. That's what Rahab did. She exemplified her faith. She hid the spies. She exemplified her faith. She put the cord there in the window. She exemplified her faith. I'm going to go with your God. I'm not just going to talk about it, not going to be here. I'm going to live this out. And friends, that's what we're called to do. And Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the scarlet cord, that you are our sacrifice, that you saved us, that we are like Rahab's in so many ways, far from you, and yet you made a plan to redeem her and to redeem us. And we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus through the scarlet blood that was shed on the cross, through faith in what Jesus did, that our sins are forgiven, our future is secured. So let us sing unto you.